Welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. My name is Larry Mishkin of the Hoban Law Group, and uh, I'm one of your hosts for today's show. My co-host, Jim Marty of the Bridge West uh, Accounting Group, is running a few minutes late. Um, but in order to make sure we have a uh, maximum amount of time with our guests today, we're going to get the show started now, and, and Jim will join us when he does. Um, before we dive in, as uh, Jim and I are uh, normally prone to do, uh, 30 seconds of updates on what we know and what we don't know. Uh, what we don't know is when they're going to make announcements in Illinois and tell us who the winners of the licenses are. Um, what we do know is that they haven't done it yet. And uh, despite our best efforts to try to get some specific information from any of the relevant agencies, uh, all we get are soon, soon, soon. Um, and it's unfortunate, as, as we've been saying, uh, not only because people want to know, but because people are being financially affected by this, especially folks who are paying for contingencies to keep real estate held for them until they find out if they have a license or people who are making deals to get uh, cultivation equipment shipped over, anticipating that they would either find out or not by a certain date so that they could cancel the order if necessary. Um, and these are just some of the problems that, that people here are facing. I suppose on the other hand, uh, the good news is it does give people more time to kind of plot out their business strategies and, uh, and, and think about things that they want to do. And in that regard, and I think a good uh, tie into today's guest is that many of my cultivation clients right now are taking advantage of this time. And one of the things that they're trying to do is make determinations as to what strains they want to grow if they get a license. Um, and it's not so easy in this industry to just say, well, heck, I want to grow Blue Dream. Uh, if you want to grow Blue Dream, you either have to have Blue Dream seeds, you have to have Blue Dream clones, and more important than that, you have to be able to verify that it's in fact it's Blue Dream. Or if uh, someone comes and has uh, uh, some interesting uh, uh, marijuana that they would like you to sell, and they tell you that this is great stuff and it has a certain THC level and a certain CBD level and a certain terpene profile, and it all sounds great that you can tell your customers, but how can you be sure and how can you really, really back that up? Um, and that and, and many, many other um uh, possibilities out there, uh, which brings me to our guest today, Josh uh, Werzer and uh, Alec Dixon of SC Labs. And both Josh and Alan uh, work at this company. They both have uh, uh, experience and training in uh, cannabis and in quality and safety standards and cannabis science and terpenes. And from our perspective today, uh, very importantly, uh, testing and uh, all the things that are necessary in that regard. So first of all, Josh and Alec, welcome very much to today's show and so glad you guys could be on. Yeah, thank you for having us. No, we're, we're, we're glad to have you guys. And as we were talking about uh, the three of us uh, just prior to going, uh, starting our taping today, uh, this is becoming a very, very timely topic uh, as people are really, really interested in genetics all of a sudden. Uh, for instance, here in Illinois, 
Uh, we have the medical people who have been doing it for a long time, the Crescos, the GTIs, and they have huge 100,000 square foot facilities. And as a result, under the new adult use laws, they got matching 100,000 square foot cultivation facilities for all of their adult use planting. The, the, the 75 licenses that are about to be awarded, or excuse me, the 40 craft grow licenses that are about to be awarded are craft grow, which by definition under Illinois law means you can only grow at 5,000 square feet. So the uh, standard thinking here is that you can't compete with the big boys growing the standard strains. It's all going to be about genetics and really making your, your mark on the market by bringing to market those types of specialty strains. But uh, as any of us who have ever uh, uh, dealt with a guy in the back row of a Grateful Dead concert who has a backpack full of stuff knows, uh, we never really know for sure exactly what we're getting. And that's where you guys come into play. Can you tell us, please, first of all, uh, you know, a quick little bit of background on both of you and, and what brought you into this business and, and exactly what it is that SC Labs does, what it's, you know, designed to do and kind of what your goals are with it going forward. Okay. Well, so I, I guess I'll go first. Um, this is Josh again, but uh, uh, so um, I'm, I'm a chemist by training and, and I was, um, my, my background is um, I did some pharmaceutical research and development out of a college. Um, then I went on to work for Samsung doing electronic materials research and development. So developing sort of the materials like computer chips and displays and things like that are made out of um, and um, sort of took an interview and, and, and then ended up taking a position kind of kind of on a lark at um, the very first laboratory that would do cannabis testing um, in the States or, or anywhere, I guess, for that matter, for um, medical marijuana patients. And this is you know, 11 years ago and it, and it was a lab in the East Bay area and uh, they just opened their doors. Um, they needed a laboratory director. And um, I went in for an interview. I was kind of unhappy with my job, took, took the interview and, um, and, and they offered me the position and, and, and I sort of looked at it as something I would do as, as, as a bridge, bridge job, leave it off my resume and, and, and go, get a, go get a real job. Um, as soon as I found something and, you know, 11 years later, it's, it's still what I'm doing. So left that place, obviously shortly, um, about a, about a year into that position, um, after, um, Alec and I were, were friends and, um, and, you know, kind of in, through, through that, you know, through working at, at, at that position and he was, uh, he was working in the industry and I'll let him kind of explain that. Um, you know, we'd done a lot of you know, talking big about how, how, you know, we should do something, something similar, but, but, but do it differently and do it better and, and sort of more focus on, um, I'm bringing kind of all of the analytical capabilities that are available in, in other industries to the cannabis industry and sort of bring that same type of rigor um, to the cannabis industry and, and, and concentrate and focus on, on, on kind of more of the safety assays as well as, as terpenes and, and things like that. Um, and so um, we did that. We, we, we left, um, I, I left uh, that lab and, and Alec left his position and, and we, uh, we had two other partners to start with. So there's four of us and um, we started SC Labs in 2010 um, and, and have been doing that ever since. So, um, you know, in, 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 we're in California, we're, we're located in Santa Cruz. Um, now we also have a lab just outside of Oregon and Tigard. And, uh, um, you know, and, and so we, we've sort of, you know, I, I think over the last 10 years been able to see um, the cannabis industry really mature from a really cool vantage point. Sort of everyone comes through the lab one way or another. And, and even before kind of mandatory testing, all of the, the big players and the real kind of innovators and, and, and people pushing pushing the boundaries in, in cannabis, um, we're, we're probably doing a lot of testing. And, and you know, our, our lab was, I, I like to think, one of one of the uh, sort of uh, um, 
larger or or, or uh, kind of more fully fully um, outfitted labs out there from the beginning. So um, you know it's been really cool just kind of to, to have the vantage point we've had, um, get to interact and, and and sort of help help kind of develop some of these products in, in one way or another and, and sort of interact with with kind of the, the biggest movers and shakers in the industry over the last ten years. Wow, that's very, very exciting stuff. Alec, uh, how about a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, so, um, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Roswell, New Mexico. And um, in, in, when I turned 18, I joined the Navy. And I, was in, I, was on the, I was in submarine duty, five years in the Navy. And um, I ended up getting out of the Navy. Um, that, and that, that was from 2001 to 2006. I was actually in boot camp right before, you know, August 16th of 2001. So right, you know, less than a month before September 11th. Um, but yeah, I did spent five years in the service, uh, on submarine duty and, uh, got out of the Navy in Virginia beach and, uh, met, um, my now ex-girlfriend, but one of the most influential females I've ever met in my life. Um, and, uh, we, uh, we started dating. I got out of the Navy, saved up money, moved to California and then moved up to, um, essentially moved to, moved to Santa Cruz where she was originally from. And when we're having a hard time finding jobs and a place to live, we moved up to, um, Laytonville, about uh, five miles north of the hog farm, uh, Bob Barsotti spot uh, up in Northern California, um, and uh, at, uh, at an amazing space called Area 101. And uh, a, a gentleman named Tim Blake uh, became, you know, my born again weed father, one of the most influential people in my life, and um, you know, kind of introduced me to cannabis and organic. Uh, what organic even means, you know, just consuming foods and putting you know, pro- products on your body and you know, kind of, in, and how to grow cannabis. And so, you know, I ended up moving to Santa Cruz and, um, you know, my, my um, ex-girlfriend and Josh's, um, Josh's partner um, started working together when we were in Santa Cruz um, at, at, uh, at, a, at, at a cosmetic uh, store. And, and I was working in, in hydroponic, in the hydroponic industry, selling soil and pesticide solutions to people as they were coming in to grow cannabis. And, and I would just from a very early on uh, standpoint, just was started seeing a lot of the wrong ways people were doing it. You know, how, how, you know, there was a split of people so dedicated to doing this pure, perfect organic as, as to the true purpose of this plant as they could. And then I saw this other group that, you know, would have, you know, kind of make mistakes, have massive issues, you know, and, and douse, you know, the, the gnarliest of, Dow DuPont Syngenta poisons on the plant really deep and latent the flower. And so that was just really kind of that just stood out to me early on. And um, I got the you know, blessed, amazing opportunity to meet Josh through our through our partners and uh, started to become friends. We were both kind of, you know, had you know, small indoors going in our garages and and, you know, just was really fascinated with the work he was doing uh, as a scientist testing cannabis. And so, yeah, you, synchronicities of life came together. We, we came together. And now, you know, we, we're 11 years deep into cannabis testing. And, and one of the, you know, one thing I would love to leave, leave my thought on is, you know, because I'm, I'm more from cultural anthropology and uh, as, as my background and ethnobotany, appreciation plants and medicine used over time. And, uh, and so much of my life and my philosophy now has been so deeply influenced by my work with SC Labs, you know, as a co-founder and, and, and how much, you know, becoming a data, you know, trend scientist, you know, data, you know, analyzing data and, understanding trends, how much I've come to learn from this plant's, you know, astounding, but, you know, come really understand that, you know, the, you know, the work we're doing in testing cannabis is really helping to, you know, serve almost as a language 
of meaning to help understand this plant and how to use this plant most effectively and appropriately for each of the desired effects or results or to treat various ailments that whatever it might be you're looking for to treat. Uh, but it's also simultaneously helping to clean up the earth. You know, um, you know the, endocannabinoid, the endocannabinoid system is, you know, the great balance system, the great homeostatic regulating system in our body that balances systems when they're all out of balance. And so I think it's doing that internally, but I also think it's doing it externally where we plant it and how it's starting to balance and clean up and detoxify the soil, you know, as this, as this great phyto remediator, you know, that we're now testing to a level nothing's ever been tested. So it's really cool. And I feel like the role we're doing, the role we serve is, is really helping to empower, you know, and, and really substantiate organic and kind of really to bring to the awareness what else we're putting into our bodies and, you know, what types of poisons are on them. And, and, and cannabis and like just the, the how cannabis is now being tested, you know, it's cleaner than food, cleaner than water in a lot of, you know, cities and areas. And so it's, it's you know, and, and, and we're doing it and it's working and, you know, and, and you know, we could hold other, you know, consumer industries to similar accounts. Well, it, it, it's really incredible to me. Um, you know, this is one of the other reasons why I, I like partnering with uh, Jim Lardy is that as a guy who came of age in the late 70s and early 80s, you know, the biggest decision that ever faced us, assuming we were even in a position where we got to make a decision, was Colombian, high stick, this, that, whatever they were calling it at the time, no strains, no indica, no sativa, no terpene profiles, no nothing. It was just marijuana. And we loved it. We had a great time. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny that now it's gotten to this point where, um, you know, it, 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 it's on the one hand, it's absolutely fascinating and amazing to see all the different ways and all the different things that can happen to this, uh, to this uh, plant and all the uses that you can make of it. But um, it, it's, it's, uh, it just has to, I have to say, it just cracks me up a little bit from going to, you know, just the, the drug of choice to hang out and, you know, listen to the Grateful Dead to, to now really becoming something that's, I mean, in some circles, people are saying that it could very well lead to the key to stop the coronavirus. Yeah, um, and, and and you know, I think in some ways, you 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 maybe had in in some ways more diversity back then when 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 you weren't taking this seriously. I think over the years, um, you know, as as um, you know, cannabis breeding has become more specific, and I think um, you know, maybe one of the disservices the laboratory testing industry has done to the the cannabis industry, or the the plant itself, is is that you know, um, you know, with with testing and, and and more visibility into the you know kind of chemical constituents in in, in cannabis, um, breeders have have kind of responded, I guess, to market demands. And um, you know, once we started putting a number to to cannabis, well, then you know, bigger is always better, and and, and people started kind of racing to produce the, the the strongest or the highest THC plants they could produce. And and, and I think we saw, um, you know, what what diversity was left after the drug war in in, in kind of the cannabis genome um you know a lot a lot of it disappeared you know, a lot of the, a lot of the strains just from you know five ten years ago when we, when, when we started doing this um you know that that were you know really popular desirable strains like i'm thinking bubba kush la confidential um granddaddy perp um most of the purples that that you know are were really interesting had really great flavors and, and kind of produced these unique kind of interesting highs um, a lot of those have gone away because they don't test 30% THC or they don't test 25% THC. So, um, you know, I think, I think, um, yeah, things have gotten more sophisticated as a scientist and in someone who, who kind of really appreciates the, 
you know, the, the uniqueness of, of this plant to produce um, so many bioactive and, and potentially, um, you know, medically beneficial compounds. Um, you know, I, 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 I celebrate kind of the sophistication that we're, we're getting out of cannabis, but, you know, in, in some ways I do think um, we've lost something along the way. And, and, and uh, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's why Alec and I are, are pushing so hard to really highlight um, the terpene content of plants and, and, and to push for um, producers of, of, of cannabis to, to, to really um, look at the terpenes as, as their quantitative quality indicators rather than, you know, just kind of all, you know, absolute THC percentage. I, I, don't, I don't judge my wine's quality based on the alcohol content, at least not since I was 18. Um, and, and, and now that, um, you know, and, 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 and I think, a, you know, a sophisticated cannabis connoisseur is, 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 should be more interested in the flavors and, and sort of the, the unique kind of um, highs that one chemotype, which is kind of the term we use rather than strains, which is the sort of the, the chemical composition of, of, a, of a cultivar or a variety, um, is, is to look at, you know, look at, you look, look at the different, the terpene profiles cannabis can produce and, and, and sort of celebrate that and, 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 and stop sort of purchasing our, our cannabis just based on what, what has the highest THC score. Cause that's, that's really sort of driving, um, you know, a, a reduction in, in, in variety, um, on, on our shelves and, and, and in the plant. Well, I, I think you're right. And, uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, all one has to do, I think to see is, you know, is look at what happened in the alcohol industry. You know, for a long time, there was just bourbon. Now there's so many different types of bourbon. You know, it, it's, it's all over the place. The consumer is demanding, you know, we want this, we want that. And, you know, to, to your point about strength, yes, in the marijuana world, it does seem that everyone's always looking for that one that just gets you a little bit higher. But, you know, I learned my lesson with bourbon 10 years ago and, and found out that you don't have to drink 110 proof bourbon. 80 proof bourbon works just fine and you stay awake longer. Um, so for me, you know, that was great. And then, you know, switching over to marijuana, once it got to the point where I actually had enough in my own mind confidence that there was more to all of this talk than just, you know, my kid coming home with the names of five crazy strains that I had never heard of in my life, it does make a big difference. And, and, and let me ask you this, because I think that one of the big, um, uh, secrets in the cannabis industry, uh, is that everybody talks about terpenes and, and you know if you, if you have a, a knowledge let's say what my knowledge level is at which is you know very basic still uh, i know a terpene to be uh, a cannabinoid meaning one of the elements that that's found in cannabis i also know that it has basically generally something to do with taste um and that we actually have terpenes in any number of uh, types of produce or, or things that are grown it's not just unique to marijuana but other than that i don't really know that much more other than sophisticated people who at least people who I consider sophisticated in the marijuana world will have that conversation. Well, did you try this strain? The terpene levels are this and that and the other. And it, it just doesn't mean that much to me. Can you, can you help give us just a little bit of background and context as, as to, you know, what, what's really going on when we talk about a terpene profile? Um, so, so plant, so, so ter, 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 terpenes produced by plants, they're, they're natural plant defense mechanisms produced that, either lure in pollinators, repel predators, you know, ter terpenes produced by trees actually have an effect on calling in the rain, um, you know, which is something I just actually recently learned. But, but you know, terpenes are kind of like the love language of nature, you know, in a, in a way, and, and the, the way that they kind of call in or cast out. 
And, and so, so terpenes kind of, and, you know, the way they interact with our olfactory system and our olfactory nerve and, and, and you know, t- t- certain smells call us more than others. And we're also very different, you know, for so many very different reasons. And so, so, you know, it's really important, I think, to understand, you know, because everybody's talking terp, terps and talking terpenes without really understanding what it is we're talking about. And, right. and it's, it's pretty basic too, because with cannabis, you know, we, we've um, embarked over the last, you know, um, so, so since, since about 2013, we, we, you know, we, we, we launched terpene testing and, and, and since from then till now we've, we've done over, you know, about 120,000 terpene tests plus, you know, since. And so, so, you know, um, you know, diving into our terpene data was our first real effort into looking into and aggregating data and, and, you know, kind of, and so we started working with a data scientist and bioinformaticist and to, to help us to cluster the data by the primary and secondary tertiary terpenes to see how things sorted into similar groups. Right. Like, and so, and you can think of it kind of like, you know, like back to the wine kind of analogy, you know, with white wines and red wines and, you know, within red wines, there's Merlot and Cabernet and Pinot Noir and, you know, Sangiovese and, you know, it keeps going. Right. And so, you know, we're, we're starting to be able to see this clarity with terpenes and cannabis in a similar way. And so, and, and so, so, you know, we test for over 30 plus terpenes, right? But really what we see is there's about five to nine terpenes that define everything we've ever tested. The, or at the 90 plus percent of the, the majority of the content, the, uh, the terpene content within the plant, um, is, you know, we see within, you know, these five to nine terpenes. And, and so, so really to understand cannabis, you, it's, you know, and to understand the way cannabis classifies and sorts by primary terpenes, is to understand five to six terpenes. And so it's, it's this like, and that's a lot easier, you know, for the, for the average consumer to understand and to, to pick up on, you know, and, and sure. so really, so really we're in, in, and most all of them are monoterpenes. Um, mo- there's, so there's monoterpenes, sesquiterpenes, um, and, you know, basically, you know, there's more isoprene units, monoterpenes of, you know, least, and I, I wouldn't even try to get into this. This is Joshville's house, but, Essentially, more isoprene units means higher boiling point. So, so low, you know, lowest isoprene unit terpene is the monoterpene, and and most of the primary terpenes in cannabis are monoterpenes. So, myrcene, terpenylene, limonene, pinene. Those terpenes are are mono, um, and and then and then there's sesquiterpenes, and they have higher boiling points. But the reason why I bring up this mono versus sesqui is, you know, at very you know at room temperature, you start losing monoterpenes. You know, if you ever go into a field of cannabis in the middle of the day that's you know ripe and ready to harvest and you smell the strains in the air, it's because the terpenes are boiling off the ter- off the plant, volatilizing and going oh. into your nose and your olfactory systems picking them up. So so when whenever you plants what what plant what if you harvest in the middle of the day versus the middle of the night, you know, you get a very different overall terpene content that you're able to preserve in the harvest of the plant. That, you know, and, 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 and that's getting into, again, this qualitative side of terpene content because they're the most precious attributes that once they go away, it's swag. It smells like, hey, it's like even if it's 30 percent THC, cool. You know, it doesn't really it doesn't have that same, you know, je ne sais quoi in that way. But 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 really, right. you know, kind of but, you know, and, and really when we're talking about the, the, the terpenes that define cannabis, though, it's myrcene, which is hops and mango. That's like the fruit smells. So like. The blueberries and the cherry AKs and the tangies and forbidden fruits and the you know purples and a lot of the tropical fruit smells like mangoes and papayas and dream queens all that stuff that's myrcene and that's the most predominant terpene 
you know, then there's limonene, you know, there's, you know, limonene is more, so myrcene is more on the sedative side. Beta-carophylline is, it's the peppery, earthy terpene. It's what's in a lot of the Girl Scout cookies and sherbets, gelatos, all that. That's on the relaxation side of it. So those, those two terpenes are more related to relaxation and sedation. Whereas limonene, which is citrus, you know, uh, pinene, which is pine and terpenaline, which is like lilac, patchouli, um, um, those, those three terpenes are more on the uplifting, cerebral, inspiring, kind of creative side of the spectrum. And so knowing those terpenes, you know, you can ca essentially categorize all strains. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. Well, and no, no, and, and I, I just kind of wanted, I guess, try my, my best sure. at, at, at describing kind of the chemistry that's going on there. Because, you know, cannabis, I think, is really a, a unique plant um, because it is sort of like this terpene factory. And these terpenes are... are are, are like like Alex said, they're they're found in most plants in nature. They're when you when you when you think of the essential oil of a plant, you're actually thinking of of the mixture of terpenes that gives that plant its unique aroma. And these, like Alex said, since since many of them are are very small, they're they're easily easily um they're easily volatilized or or they 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 go into the the air and, and you smell them. But um they're they're the cannabinoids themselves are actually just specialized terpenes that only cannabis produces or, or you know now we're finding some other plants that produce cannabinoid like compounds but but they're just very specialized terpenes and the, the terpenes are, begin with with small chemicals uh that that are sort of like they're called isoprene units like alex said they're, they're they're sort of like the small lego blocks and you can make very complex molecules from from these isoprene units or, or these sort of building blocks to the terpenes and um and so the cannabis plant produces lemonine just like lemons it produces myrcene just like hops so it produces a lot of these terpenes that are that are producing these other plants and many of these terpenes just like the cannabinoids are bioactive so they 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 do things in our body so they don't just smell good they 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 and, and and so that's what's potentiating the the effects of THC or the other cannabinoids you're 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 ingesting so um and that's why one strain from the next has has a slightly different effect but you know and and then just to kind of give you um, an idea of of, of the of the constituents of cannabis. Uh, you know, a, a, a really good cannabis flower is going to test somewhere around from twenty to thirty percent um, in 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 THC content by dry weight. You you take a cannabis flower, you dry it out, thirty percent of the weight of that flower to 20, 20 to thirty percent. Thirty percent is on the very high end. That's that's you know that's that's a very a very high concentration. But but just just to demonstrate kind of the amount of 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 resin that the cannabis plant produces is significant. And, and then, uh, uh, you know, somewhere between a half a percent to a percent and a half. Sometimes we see strains that go even higher on that, um, of the dried cannabis flower is going to be terpenes, uh, other than the cannabinoids. So, so all the other aromatic terpenes that are going to give it its smell, its flavor. Um, and then, um, you know, and, 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 and that's in the dry plant, but, but like Alex said, if you, you cut down a fresh plant, you're going to have a lot, you know, a, a significantly more, um, more terpenes, uh, as, as concentration of the overall plant. So this is always my problem on the show is because I start talking about one part of the topic that we're talking about and, and I could talk about it all day, but I have my whole list of questions here and some other things that I really want to get to. So. Thank that that's a great introduction on, on terpenes and it, it very, very informative and I appreciate that. But this is a question that I also get from a lot of people as well, and especially my clients right now who are going to be opening up craft uh, grows if they get their licenses. And who decides what 
what what blue dream is who gets to decide and this kind of ties in i know you guys have talked about national standards both from the safety end um and 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 uh, all of that but also specifically kind of from this idea of having uniformity so that if we have uh somebody says i'm selling blue dream and i really like it and i'm in california and then i wind up in illinois and i want to go in and buy blue dream how do i have any idea that it's the same how does that work in this industry well sci scientifically um we can you know we can we can we have multiple ways that we can we can sort of define a strain and 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 you know certainly there's plenty of qualitative ways and and certainly the, you know it's, it's been an issue in the past with 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 kind of sort of strain standards like like you're talking about but you know scientifically i can i can define a strain as a chemotype which is is sort of the the sum of the chemical constituents of the plant so um what you know for a blue dream, we can set standards for for the cannabinoid content. You know how much THC does it have? How much CBD does it have? How much CBG does it have? And then what are the terpenes and what are the ratios to one another? So you know, is it immersing dominant? You know, with with pinene as the secondary terpene, um, that's that's a blue dream. And then beyond that, if if, if you know if, if a breeder is looking to develop a new strain or chemotype or chemovar or what, there's multiple ways to sort of words you can use to define a strain even um then then you know they can develop that strain um and and then have have it genetically fingerprinted and, and there's multiple ways you can do that but they they can you know not now it's the the those types of technologies have have come down in cost to the point where they're they're within reach of, of cannabis breeders and and shoot nowadays cannabis breeders are as well funded as anyone else but uh um, but, uh, but even, even, you know, kind of the, the old school garage breeders can, can afford to, you know, you can, you can, you can sort of fingerprint a strain for a few hundred bucks. And then, and then, you know, then you have a, a definitive answer on, on what constitutes that strain. Well, it's, 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 it's the genetics. So I think from a scientific point of view, those are the two best ways. Now there's certainly a lot of qualitative ways. Yeah, and to add to that, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. You know, because I think it's, it's like a, the answer is like twofold. I think it's, it's, it's the 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 chemotype chemotype fingerprinting, right? Is is it high THC? Is it a type, so type type one is high THC, low CBD? So is it, so is it, it's a type blue dream is a type one high THC, low CBD strain with myrcene and pinene. Right, that which make a mass, you know, the, the vast majority of the profile, and most of it's myrcene, like maybe half or less of the less of the amount of myrcene is pinene, and and so so I think for one, it's 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 identifying that you have the verified genetics, and then two, it's about having educated bud tenders that are able to help people to find the right strain, especially if they can't smell it, you know, because exactly right. like you're saying, is the blue dream you're getting, you know, on because you know, I think it's 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 a self responsibility thing of knowing the smell of the strain like training your olfactory right. system to like know the right. okay myrcene is that fruity kind of smell right so that is so so and and so and and you you and once you kind of can further and a bud tender further can identify okay there's all these fruit strains you know tangy forbidden fruit man you know mango blue dream blue, what differentiates blue dream among those strains is the little bit of pining it has and and so so you know being able to for one, you know, know that, you know, just train your nose on these five, six primary terpenes and to be able to help kind of guide people to that, you know, because, you know, it's, 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 you know, where, you know, there's so much suggestive selling and, and, um, you know, that happens of pushing strains or pushing strains that are called certain names. 
Um, and then, and then there's also a lot of um, placebo effect pushing that's happening there because a lot of people are getting blue dream thinking it's this myrcene strain, but then they're getting like a terpenaline dominant, like haze strain that, you know, because, because somebody thinks that blue dream is a sativa. So they're giving them this strain that they think is this is a blue dream or is, is, is this on the sativa end, but that's like a totally different terpene and that, that could have a very negative effect on somebody or it could influence the placebo effect, but it's just so complex. And I just think right. that it has to be a lot more accountability in the leadership of the community to take terpenes seriously and to like, you know, to, to, to do the plant justice on the level that the plants here for us to give it justice. And it's to like, you know, be intelligent in how we speak about it and to push the boundaries of the ignorance of how, and the misinformation that's, that we just ignorantly perpetuate. Okay. And one more quick question I'm going to slip in here along those lines is this, uh, Testing obviously becomes more and more important and, and, and really crucial once you're a license holder because most states require testing of one kind or another. Uh, in that context, it, uh, it's oftentimes to make sure that the, the product is safe and free of, of harmful pesticides or things like that. Um, but also, I would imagine that a lot of that is also for truth in advertising. So if you want to advertise a particular strain uh, and what its THC content might be, uh, you have something to, to get an accurate measure. Now, here's the question, because I know uh, everyone in the industry talks about national standards and even statewide standards. What happens if my partner and I, uh, you know, at a cultivation center, we each take our sample of the same strain. I go to one lab, he goes to another lab, and we come back with different reports. In other words, is that possible? How do we ensure uniformity so that, you know, if I get a result from a lab, I can feel confident that this is a good result? Onto that, but it's accountability on the labs, and it's the state creating a system of robust auditing and ongoing auditing of the labs that are because the labs are the final integrity check and the integrity of the supply chain. Yeah, I, I mean, I would second what Alex said. I, uh, you know, ca cannabis is actually a, a really difficult, um, a really difficult cult plant to to test um, for for a number of reasons, and for for most of the tests we do, um, most plants aren't you know sort of dried resinous. Um, plants that that need to be tested, you know, to to very low levels for for some of the contaminants we're looking for in, in California and Oregon and, and, and elsewhere. Um, so 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 it is a tough tough nut to crack. But at the same time, I think um, early on uh, labs like ours, there was no regulation because there's no requirements for testing. So you know we we, we get you know sort of that inter, any of the international accreditations like ISO accreditation as a laboratory. Um, some labs did, you know, a lot didn't. Um, and, and, and so there was really no requirement for, for, for the rigor of the labs. And, and so you, you got kind of what you would expect on, under that type of situation. And, you know, as we went into regulations, there was, you know, there's kind of a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of leeway left to the labs to sort of come up to a certain standard to, to do this testing. And I think we're, we're getting there. I think, you, you know, these days that, that concern it, it should happen a lot less if you're using, you know, reputable labs. Um, but you know, like Alex said, I, I think, I think it, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's on the job of, of regulators in these States to really hold the laboratories to, to a high standard. Um, certainly there's a lot of incentive for labs like ours to, to, to jack up THC scores for our customers or, or, you know, pass them on a pesticide test that they, they shouldn't pass on because there's a lot of money involved in these, in these batches. And, and we're sort of the, the gatekeepers on, on, on quality and, and, and regulatory end. Um, and, and so, so if the state isn't 
you know, providing a lot of oversight to, to, to labs like ours, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of incentive for, for shenanigans. And so, um, we've, we've seen, we've seen that get a lot better over the years. And, and as the industry matures, um, the laboratories are maturing as well. And so, um, hopefully that's getting better. Um, and, and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's on the laboratory industry to hold itself to a high standard. And, and it's certainly on the regulators to, to kind of enforce that. And then for what it's worth, it, when we're talking chirping, since that's you know been a big theme of what we've been talking about here, the chirping assay is one of the hardest assays for, for labs to get right. And, and there's still a lot of laboratories that are, are misidentifying terpenes because you know it's just it's a really complex plant and, and, and the terpenes are, are are there usually in, in very trace amounts. So um yeah that's that's I could go on all day about let me, ask you, this, standards. Let me ask you this question guys. Um who is your customer base? Do you work primarily with cultivation centers? Do you work with uh individual growers? Do you work with somebody who just wants to walk in off the street and say, hey can you tell me what this bud is? Of um, you know, uh, back back in the day before comprehensive regulations in California um, and Oregon took you know took place, you know, largely we tested for dispensaries that would be receiving product and then test it and want to you know advertise the THC and terpene content and test it for pesticides so they could charge a premium. Now, um, essentially, there you know there's um, there's all this in 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 um, in process testing that takes place you know, from the time of cultivation to the time of extraction to the time of product formulation or infusion, you know, getting products ready for final form and in, in packaged cartridges, you know, and then, so there's there, so each licensee will, will do their own amount of uh, as little or as much R and D testing as they feel like they need to do to ensure, to hedge their bet, to ensure that they're not going to put 10,000 cartridges fully packaged ready to go to market at a distributor's location where then a, a final compliance test will take place where the lab laboratory comes through, takes a representative sampling of the batch, goes back, the state's involved, metrics involved, you know, there's no turning back at that point. And then, you know, if it, if it all, if it passes all these quality marks, then it gets a green light. If it fails any of the marks, the state's involved, the department of public health is involved and the product has to be remediated or destroyed. So it's this very severe and consequential event. And so, yeah, so there's, so each licensee will kind of do their, their, their due diligence in that way. Okay. Fantastic. And how do people get in touch with you? Um, sclabs.com. Um, we're all, we're on, uh, tw we're on Instagram underscore SC labs, uh, Twitter SC laboratories. Um, and yeah, also on Facebook, um, yeah, we, yeah, we try to kind of keep it relevant and put out information that's helping to educate, you know, kind of consumers and all those that are, you know, in service to cannabis to understand, and, you know, the science of cannabis and how to, you know, engage with it to learn how to, you know, optimize whatever it is you're doing in life. And, uh, we're talking with, uh, Josh Werzer and Alex, Alec Dixon, Jim, welcome to the show. And, um, what's going on with you? I just landed at Logan Airport and uh, drove out here to Worcester, where I'm consulting on a, um, a large cannabis cultivation. Very nice. Very nice. Well, uh, Josh and Alec have been kind enough to kind of walk us through the world of, uh, of terpenes and, uh, and testing and uh, trying to set up some uh, consistency standards across the country, uh, you know, to, to really uh, bring some accountability to the industry. Um, what back, what uh, experience, Jim, do you have in terms of working with people uh, with testing labs? We have several labs as clients for Bridge West as a CPA firm, 
Um, I'm not a scientist by any means, but um, I know that, in, and maybe these gentlemen can chime in, Alex and Josh, um, I know that heavy metals are a bit of a concern. Um, tell us about that and, you know, how do, how do heavy metals get into cannabis plants? I guess that's my first question. I would love to answer that. Um, yeah, I've, one of my biggest roles within SC Labs um, going back since 2018 when, you know, or actually 2019 when heavy metal testing kicked in is, you know, to help people identify and do root cause kind of analysis to trace back and figure out where and how heavy metals uh, fails come about. And so I've learned quite a bit about the topic. And so, um, and and I've actually learned quite a bit of the, about the topic from uh, one of Josh and my dear friends, um, Roy Upton, who's the executive director of the American Herbal Pharmacopeia. And so, so cannabis and hemp equally, you know, they're this great phytoremediator of toxins from the soil. And so they accumulate toxins. Um, and so, so heavy metals, most of the heavy metal accumulation that occurs within cannabis happens within the roots and the shoots of the plant not necessarily in the fruits and the flower. So why do heavy metal fails on flower happen, right? And so, so what we see kind of across our data since 2019 is, you know, there's about two to, two to 3% fail rate across all heavy metal testing we perform on flowers, extracts, infused products with cacao in them and stuff like that. We see, um, we see lead almost exclusively is is a is an issue with manufacturing and kind of um, what what the can cannabis and terpenes are being stored in leaching that takes place from Chinese manufactured hardware kind of um, from from shitty uh, Chinese glass that kind of leaches metals you know there's a lot of sources where metals you know styrofoam it, you know styrofoam has incredible amounts of heavy metal in it so if it's sitting on tincture vials that are coming to the United States sitting on styrofoam. Each one of those vials has lead on it. So, so that's one thing. And then, so as far as flower, where fails in flower come from, from everything we've seen, there's about 2% fail rate that happened. 1% for arsenic, 1% separately is for cadmium. And in, in, in pretty much every instance where we've, you know, so the fail rates are really low on flower, right? So, so if, you, know, the, you know, even though heavy metals, you can test in any sample of soil, you know, so, so but, but again, most of the roots and the shoots are accumulating the metals. But, but the, the, the failing flower happens from whatever's being foliar applied to the plants, right? So foliar application of metals can either happen directly or indirectly. Like indirectly would be, say, you're fully, you're outside in, the, in, in a really high wind corridor area. You're growing full sun outdoor and, you know, metals get gusted up from the soil and just dust your sticky plants. You just, you just foliar applied indirectly metals right onto your sticky plants so 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 fails can happen that way and then they can also happen through what you're spraying on the plants so so you know i integrated pest management your know, pesticide sprays you know all these inputs that people are you know, might spray every week on the foliage of their plants you know it's wise to do do due diligence on those products and ensure that they're low in heavy metal content you know because i mean you, you can test fish you can test seaweed you could test, you know, all these different inputs and they could have 30, 40 part per million of cadmium or mercury on them or, or you know, or yeah, arsenic. And so it's, you know, if so if, if, if you have, you know, in, inputs that have metals on them, don't put them on the foliage of the plants and spray them, give them to the roots and, the, and, and allow the roots and the shoots to accumulate it. These answers uh, that you guys have been given today, guys, are great. And uh, I'm sure Jim and I, uh, you know, could come up with a, hundred more questions for you but uh, before we run out of time 
We always like to check in on the musical side of things for uh, the Grateful Dead, Fish, the jam band scene, and and really any music that's out there. Jim, uh, what's your what's your latest on the music scene? You know, I've really been enjoying the uh, Fish channel. I've been in the car quite a bit, and I've been listening to a lot of Fish. And um, what's interesting is, you know, is um, we uh, older Deadheads uh, bat around what was you know Jerry's best year, what was the the Grateful Dead's best tour, and a lot of people come up with 1977. Something very similar for Fish, that uh, 1998 yeah. seems to be a, a peak year for Fish, which is very interesting because both bands had been around for about the same amount of time, um, the Dead in 77 and Fish in uh, 98. There's a, a school of thought that says you need 10,000 hours to master your craft, and so... Maybe both bands hit their 10,000 hours, but I've really been enjoying listening to uh, to Fish in the Car. Yeah, that's been great. Did you have a chance to listen to uh, uh, Dave's Picks 35, the Philadelphia show? Yes, I've listened to it start to finish a couple of times and uh, enjoying it very much. I touched on the uh, the Touch of Grey, and then the um, the third disc has the bonus track of Terrapin Station, very, very solid Terrapin yeah. Station from 77. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's a uh, it, it's a great show. I was at that show in Philly in 1984 at the uh, Philly Civic Center. Um, you know, and as we talked about last time, I think it's just always great to, when they finally release a show that you were at. Um, you know, and you have a chance to re-listen to it and say, "Oh yeah, I do remember all of that." It was great. Um, switching back to our guests for a minute, um, I uh, I understand that uh, at SC Labs. Uh, you guys uh, have a small world Grateful Dead story for us, and one of your employees was connected to who in the band? So, so we were we were blessed uh, to uh, to to be friends with and to know um, Bill Kreutzmann's daughter um, Bella, she, uh, stepdaughter uh, Bella uh, was a great uh, laboratory technician and scientist that worked with us at SC Labs for a couple years. She has since kind of moved back to live uh, with her family in Hawaii. But, um, but yeah, very kind of synchronistic, random um, little ad in there. Very cool. And I, I like that story because, you know, I think that in the Grateful Dead history and whatever, uh, you know, outside of their uh, uh, nightly drum solos, the drummers, you know, tend to get a little more short shrift than Jerry and Bobby and the, and the boys who are up front. But uh, there's a whole school of thought that I'm uh, – at least a partial adherent to, if not making my over there full time, uh, that Billy was really the heart and soul of the band. And uh, uh, he really kept things moving from back there. Mickey took his time off for a while. And Billy supposedly had the closest relationship to Jerry out of any of them. And uh, uh, I, I, he, he's one guy in the band who I would really like to, you know, get a chance to sit down and just chat with, because he seems to be fascinating. Did, did she have good stories to share with you? I worked up front. I was less, she was more in the laboratory kind of in her zone in the science. So I, you know, but aside just kind of hanging out, you know, here and there, you know, I never really got, you know, the opportunity to, to yeah, be able to get any of the stories. Well, it's always, you know, look, that's uh, like I say, it, it, in, in this world, that's one of the cool things about the dead is you never have to swing a baseball bat very far to hit somebody who's got some connection, some story, you know, some two or three or fourth degree of, uh, a separation um uh, and jim and i have talked about those stories a number of times clients and business people and in fact uh just a few weeks ago we had on the show uh one of the attorneys who i work with bob hoban the head of the hoban law group 
And, uh, you know, Bob likes to play a game where when he gives his professional presentations, he tries to mix in as many Grateful Dead lyrics as he can along the way. And it just, uh, it makes it great fun for us. Um, in your work, though, uh, I know you were talking uh, a little bit earlier about, you know, um, celebrities and stuff like that. Do you have, uh, you know, musicians who would drop in on you from time to time to get your thoughts on uh, what was available in the uh, marijuana market? Yeah, I mean, in, in, in you know, even just, just living in Santa Cruz, you can't help but kind of overlap with a, you know, Grateful Dead history. I, I, I used to live in a place uh, just outside of San, Santa Cruz that called Mount Pico. And, uh, uh, you know, we were right down the road from, I, I guess, uh, Jerry Garcia's aunt's house, where apparently he was trapping wood as a young child and, and uh, um, ah. that whole story. And, and, and there was a house owned by Janis Joplin out in the woods that you kind of had to hike to that, that would throw parties. So, I mean, there's just all of that's kind of, you know, this was, this is sort of, you know, San Francisco's play, playground still is. And uh, um, so, so you run into that all the time and, and shoot, I mean, uh, the, the Soundtrap guys are from Santa Cruz. So and I know you guys are, are, are Grateful Dead and, and Fish guys, but, but you know, um, can't, can't help but cross paths with those guys. I, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were at, they're at our Christmas party last year. So, um, but, but, uh, oh, wow. um, but yeah. And then, and so, so I guess cool. there, there you go. That's a, that's a crossing path. And, and we, uh, two of the members of the Wu-Tang clan shot a music video in, in, in our laboratory. That was pretty fun. And then afterwards we had, uh, we had uh, a pizza party and birthday cake. It was our sales guy's birthday and, and kill a priest and ghost face killer saying happy birthday to our sales guy. And um, that, that was wow. a little bit surreal. So yeah, it, it is, has been fun as well working in this industry. Cause you definitely, you know, not only do you get to cross paths with uh, um, you know, some of the kind of the, the, the luminaries and, and, and kind of the, the forward thinkers of the cannabis industry, but um, there's a, there's a lot of overlap between, you know, kind of the, the artist community as well. And so, you know, and I think both me and Alec have, have, have done a lot of that and, and certainly have, have, have spent a lot of time kind of in the whole kind of festival scene um, through the years, which, you know, kind of started for me with, with, with the jam bands and then kind of went a lot to kind of more of the, you know, electronic music as well, um, you know, kind of big, big and kind of music producers. And, and I think it's kind of cool how, how sort of the composers have, have had their moment here a little bit. I know people are, are kind of polarized on the whole electronic scene, but um, for me, I think I think it's really cool that you know that that it celebrates sort of the composer. And and I'm sorry, real quick, I just wanted to add in. I apologize. I just wanted to to add in just uh, you know paying respect and giving thanks how much the the plants, cannabis, plant medicines, the psychedelic kind of influence of culture and how much you know the the sound of music has been able to really kind of help progress both in certain ways across time. Very good point, Alec. And uh, yes, I've seen Sound Tribe Sector 9 several times at Red Rocks on a multi-band um, evening, three or four bands. And uh, they kind of have both a foot in both camps, uh, electronic music as well as the jam band scene. So they're, they're a little bit of both. Yep, I like them too. They're a lot of fun. Um, and you know, you guys keep talking about Santa Cruz and, you know, my, my greatest regret in my life is that I didn't discover UC Santa Cruz until the second semester of my senior year of college when I went out there to visit somebody. And I thought, why didn't anybody tell me about this place when I was applying to college? Um, it was beautiful. I love Santa Cruz, went for a ride on the roller coaster down on the pier and, uh, it was quite an experience. I was actually a junior transfer into UCSC. I went to Cabrillo College here in Santa Cruz for two years, and I, I did a junior transfer to UCSC. And then that fall, in in you know around October, I ended up 
yeah, not continuing because we opened up SC Labs, and that was back in uh, yeah, October of 2009. Yeah, so you've been um, your lab has kind of been um, right where it needed to be starting in 2009, 2010. That was when I started signing cannabis tax returns. It was the same year. That's when Colorado really got going. Yeah. And, and initially, I mean, it, 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 for, for those of you who kind of understand geography of California, I don't want to get too geography heavy here, but, uh, um, you know, San, Santa Cruz is sort of over a mountain range from from the Bay Area. Um, and so, you know, there there probably was a, a business case nowadays to, to be more in the heart of the Bay Area where the population center is. But um, early on, Santa Cruz was was very cannabis friendly. So there was, you know, sort of the the Emerald Triangle. There's, you know, Mendocino and Humboldt mm-hmm. and, and Trinity. But then Santa Cruz County was also very friendly and had very liberal cannabis laws. And it's, I mean, nationwide, the cannabis movement got its start in, in a lot of ways in, in Santa Cruz with um, WAM. And, 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 and certainly we've been really involved with WAM from the beginning. Um, and, and, and all that all that happened here that led to the, the, the referendum in 1996. Um, for Prop 215, and and so um, so yeah, so so we we've definitely you know kind of we we chose to stay here not not just because we lived here and, and opened the lab here, but also just because um you know back then we didn't know if you know the laboratories were still highly illegal and and we didn't know if we were going to get you know arrested on day one from opening the lab, um you know as as you know sort of as as a drug processor or or, or some something like that. So um, we chose Santa Cruz sort of for the safety it provided as well covered this but as we wrap it up today why don't you give people one more chance to um, be able to contact you if they want to do business with you on testing if they're in your area or not um, go ahead and uh, tell us about your website and how to contact you yeah so um, yeah for you so we test kind of cannabis and hemp in California and Oregon we test hemp nationally um, you can contact us anytime at info at sclabs.com sclabs.com you can also find us on social media, um, like Instagram, underscore SC Labs, Twitter, I believe is SC Labs or SC Laboratories, and uh, also same on Facebook. But yeah, really grateful to be here, and uh, thank you for, for having us. Well, thank you very much. And that just leads me to one more question. Um, you, you take samples from all over the country? For hemp. Uh, yeah, we do hemp testing across the nation. How, I was gonna, then my next question was, how did they get it to you? So. <laughs> Um, hemp, hemp through the mail. We, we receive hemp samples um, kind of through the mail, kind of as long as, you know, point below 0.3% THC. You know, we work with, you know, several manufacturers and kind of hemp uh, flower producers kind of in various regions. Also, we we have been appointed one of the, I want to say two or three labs um, that is able to perform uh, hemp testing in the state of Texas. Um, and so... Yeah, so we're, so you know we're we're sanctioned and commissioned kind of you know in the states of California, Oregon, and Texas, you know to to do testing for hemp kind of as part of the state process. But we also do receive samples testing for hemp. People doing different kind of processing or or sourcing or infused product making stuff like that. Yeah, but please please don't just send us samples. We'll uh, give us a call and we'll, we'll set it up. And definitely don't don't mail us any cannabis from outside the state. We're, we're, right. we're yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's a nice it's a nice thought, but please don't. All right. Well, very good, gentlemen. Um, So this is Jim Marty um, saying over and out from central Massachusetts, where I'm on a cannabis business trip. Jim, always a pleasure. Uh, I hope your trip goes successfully out there. And uh, to everyone else, thank you again for listening. Thanks to Josh and Alec. Everyone have a good week. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has kind of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.